Coach's Perspective. I'm your host, Jenny Hopkins, and this show is presented to you by Great Southern Bank. Great Southern Bank is serious about convenience. With nearly 100 banking centers in six states, hundreds of ATMs, and mobile and online banking services, you're always in touch with your money. Learn more at greatsouthernbank.com, member FDIC. Other sponsors we'll talk about throughout the show, Highland Dairy, Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance, Bill Grant Ford in Bolivar, Story Construction, West Logging, and Melinda, Greg and Melinda Burnett, um, along with the Springfield Yard Cards. Um, and we're going to talk about our sponsors throughout the show. We're very grateful for them and their partnership. So on our last show, we did um, we, we, we had a good time. We really did. And I've gotten a lot of positive comments. I really appreciate all of the comments that were sent in. We did Football 101 and Taylor Swift 101. So we talked a little NFL football, and we had Taylor Swift fans in here that have been wanting to learn about football, and our football experts, Larry Nimmers, and Ryan Tui were here, and they talked um, a little football, and we broke it down. It was very basic, um, and we taught Olivia Swisshelm and Isabella Garcia. They were our Taylor Swift fans. And then the tables were turned, and the girls taught uh, Larry and Ryan about Taylor Swift, and then we took quizzes at the end of the show. If you want to listen to that, you can go to A Coach's Perspective. You can listen to it under previous shows, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Verbal, or Helium Satellite Radio um, all under a coach's perspective. Um, next week, we're going to have Chief Paul Williams here, and we're going to talk a little bit about the parallels of him being the coach of the Springfield Police Department, and we're going to align that and parallel with that with a head coach from a Division One program. All right, so let's get to our show and our guest. Today, we're gearing up for a sporting season, a sporting season called Deer Season. We're going to explore hunting and fishing and the importance of our ecosystems um, and how important it is to be able to control populations in this area. And we have the expert on this. <laughs> we have the expert. And, and I want to welcome uh, Warren Rose. Thank you for being here. Good to be here. Thank you. And, you know, you are an expert. You're with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Um, but you also used to be a sportscaster in I Joplin. Did. I did years ago. There you go. Give us your Art Haynes impression. Oh, I, I would not even. <laughs> yeah. I, Nobody would, can do that. No one can Nobody hold a candle to Art. He's right. awesome. He is awesome. <laughs> um, well, tell us a little bit about after that, you did a, you produced a TV show for Loman Game Calls. Tell us a little bit about that experience. You bet. Yes. Uh, as a sportscaster there in Joplin, I worked in television for about uh, three to four years. And then one day out actually doing a news story, I met some folks down in Neosho with Loman Game Calls. And at the time, it was in the early to mid-90s, uh, the Outdoor Channel was just getting started. Hunting videos were really starting to take off. And they wanted to produce a uh, video series and a TV show, uh, basically highlighting their products. So I ended up working for them for seven years, actually traveling the country, uh, going to Canada, all sorts of great places, uh, hunting everything from elk to deer to turkey to waterfowl to predators, uh, filming all that. And then coming back and producing a television show, it was a year-round thing, and I truly enjoyed it. it was, that's like a dream job. It was. A lot of people. Of course, I, as I was telling you before we started, I grew up in Berry County, uh, real close to the Arkansas state line, in a family that was very active in hunting and fishing. And so it was just second nature for me. But when I started hunting with those guys from Loman, I really got my master's degree, if you will, in the outdoors because those guys were so good. And, and just by following them around and, and videoing things, you couldn't help but so it was a great experience. And, and I think that there's a lot of people, it's, there's so much more to hunting than, um, you know, if you're a hunter, you know what I'm talking yes. about. 
if you're not and you've never been, um, this is something I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's not just going out in the woods and waiting for a deer to come walking up and shooting it. There's so much more to it, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. But what is it that you you love about it? Because the only thing I could probably, you know, I could shoot animals, but with a camera. (laughs) Not really. But I'm I'm grateful there are people that can't because I know it's necessary. Um, but what? Tell me, what is it that you love about hunting? You know, as hunters and and, and those of us who have, I was, I think I was telling you, I bought my first deer tag in 1977, so I've been at this a while. And hunters who have been hunting that long, or, or maybe not even that long, will tell you they'll go through different stages. So when you're early on, you just you're wanting to see something. Just you know, and back in 1977, if you saw a deer, that was something because we didn't have the deer numbers back then that we have today. Uh, and then, it, you know, seeing something and then wanting to get one and then wanting to get a big one. And now I'm at that stage in my life where if I get a deer, fine, great. If I don't, that's fine, great. Being able to spend time with my dad, who's been hunting since like 1958, he, uh, he'll he turn 80 here during deer season. Oh, and so uh, just spending time with him, my son who goes to MU, he's a senior there. He's going to take time to come down during the holiday break and spend time with me and go hunting. So just that camaraderie and, and getting time to spend with family and friends and showing it to others, introducing, mm-hmm. taking someone who's never hunted before, or never been successful and being able to take them out and help them harvest their first animal. To me, that's, that's the reward. That's the stage I'm at. I love it that you brought up kind of the, the generational connections um, yes. because it's, it's more than just going and shooting an animal. It is. But there is it so is much, much more. more to it. Yes. Um, and I think that generation, I, you know, I was at the Missouri Department of Conservation yesterday yes. doing some educational um, resource um, training, and I was really uh, enjoyed um, seeing all of the different resources that you have there. Yes. Um, but you showed a video at the very beginning I thought was very powerful, and it was, you know, there was an older generation that talked about what they did. They would go outside, and they would explore in the woods, and they would build forts, and they would do all these cool things. And then there was like a middle generation that was talking about all the different things that they did, and they, you know, would play in the dirt, and they'd go to the ponds, and they'd skip rocks, and they'd do all these cool things. And then there was a younger generation, and there was um, there was uh, kids on there that were probably – Oh, between eight and 12 years yep. old. Mm-hmm. And they asked, they were asked, you know, what do you do for fun? You know, they were all asked the same question. What do you yeah. do for fun? You know, when, when you were a kid or what do you do for fun now? And, and it was, you know, and it was video games and it was email and it was social media and mm-hmm. it was texting. Yeah. And then they played that video for, you know, the parent and grandparents. Yes. Um, and, and just the tear, the emotions of, you know, I've got to get our kids out in nature. Yes. And tell, speak to that just a little bit about how important it is for this generational connection, not just within each other, but with nature. It's, it's huge. As part of my day job, which is a regional supervisor over education here in southwest Missouri, uh, I'm fortunate enough to be able to have the staff at the Springfield Nature Center, the Andy Dalton Shooting Range. We've got a uh, education center in Joplin, the Show Creek Conservation Education Center, as well as we're building a new uh, nature center down at branson there at the hatchery uh we've got staff members like lyle whitaker and others that go around and work with yourself and other school administrators and teachers trying to make those connections at all those places with all those schools with all those students to get them connected to nature because as i said yesterday once you have that connection you understand it you'll have a better appreciation for it and that's what we want we want folks to have that appreciation not everyone has to hunt not everyone has to fish but we want them to understand what's out in their backyard, what's in the in the field next to where they live, what's in the woods. Get out and go hiking, see, experience these things that you can't find in a video game, that you can't find on your phone. 
and really make those connections. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, some of the best times I've ever spent with my son have been outdoors, and we weren't harvesting. Uh, we may have been deer hunting or turkey hunting, but it wasn't about the harvesting of the animal. It was about the fun. We went to Nebraska, and I, I tell all my friends who have kids who are about 12 to 15, I'm like, whatever you do, take those three years and go do something outdoors with them. If they like to camp and hike, go do that. If they like to hunt, do that. If they like to fish, go do that. Because once they turn 16 and they get that driving permit, <laughs> you've lost them. Yeah. And so some of the best memories my son and I have, would we would take a week and go to Nebraska and spend a week up there turkey hunting every April. And we literally would drive across that state. And we fell in love with the state. And, and, and we just had so much fun. And the stories weren't about, oh, the turkey I shot and da-da-da. It was just about the jokes we created and the things we saw. And and just introducing both of us to a new world, uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to go to Nebraska. Some people can't travel that far. Uh, obviously, we hunt here in Missouri as well. But for us, it was a chance to get away and make that connection. And that's really what it's all about. That's a, that's big. I mean, it really is. And and you know, it's not not to diss video games and diss you know social media. I mean, all there's a place for all of that. Is. So I, I don't want to. Um, I don't, I don't want to, I want to make sure and validate that those are, those, those can be positive yes. too, but find that balance, yes. find that balance and still, um, work on getting outdoors more. It's just so important. Um, so, so let's talk about, you kind of have a big weekend coming up. We do have a big weekend <laughs> coming up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's one of our biggest of the year, if not the biggest. Right. So. It's deer season. If it's you didn't know season. that, if you've been in a cave, it's yeah. deer season. Yes. Yes. So it's exciting time. It um, exciting. For, for the Department of Conservation, tell us a little bit about the preparations as you get ready for this season. Well, uh, for us, a lot of us are, will be out working this weekend at the sampling stations. Uh, we do have chronic wasting disease in our state, so we're monitoring for that. So uh, there are several counties around the state uh, where hunters are required to take their deer in should they harvest one and have it sampled. Uh, that allows us to know how prevalent the disease is, and we're fortunate right now it's uh, very low here in the state of Missouri. And hunting's one of the reasons it is, because we know that by removing deer from areas where there is an infection, it reduces the possibility of it being spread to other deer. So that's one of the big things we'll do. Of course, our, our conservation agents, or game wardens, it's obviously a big weekend for them. They'll be out in full force uh, uh, checking permits and helping hunters along the way. Um, so those guys will stay busy. So, yes, it's a big weekend. I, you know, I think there's uh, there's a lot to be said for um, Missouri Department of Conservation and, and what they do to help hunters and, and the guidelines that you give, the mm-hmm. regulations, all of those things, um, but also the support and the resources yes. is huge. So tell us about, like, um, if somebody is not familiar with hunting, um, there are different seasons. There's a youth season yes. and regular season. Um, there's doe season. Tell us uh, about some of the differentiated you seasons. Bet. We've, we've got more opportunities now to hunt than ever before. I can remember, again, hunting back in 1977. I think it was a, uh, a nine-day season. Uh, it was bucks only. Uh, and then a few years later, the, you would get a, you could put in and get a, your name drawn and maybe get a bonus permit, and that was big news. I mean, you <laughs> spent the night on the phone calling all your buddies back in the early 1980s. They, on a hey, landline. Yeah, on a landline. <laughs> a rotary they, phone, yeah, probably. <laughs> it was a rotary phone, especially at Washburn, Missouri. <laughs> Google that if you're a young, younger generation. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so we've come a long way. We've got a lot more opportunities now. We've got we've got an archery season that runs from uh, basically uh, September fifteenth to January fifteenth. Uh, we have a uh, early antlerless season now. We have an early and uh, late youth season. We have a we have a late antlerless season. We have a, 
uh, I call it muzzleloader seizing. I think it's got a different name now, alternative methods. Uh, it's in, in later uh, in December, early January. So lots of opportunities for hunters to get out there. Uh, that allows more opportunity to harvest our deer and manage our deer herd, which is what we as an agency uh, want to do. We want to manage a healthy deer herd. We don't want to overpopulation. So why? Tell tell listeners yeah, a little we, bit about why that's so important. It's just huge. Uh, we want to manage the deer herd so they're healthy, so they don't spread disease, so that we don't. It actually helps reduce the number of car deer collisions. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know the, uh, you know farmers want deer taken off the landscape so they don't destroy all the crops. Uh, or just depending on where you're at, you know there's a lot of reasons we want to manage that deer herd. So. Uh, again, I can remember when the herd wasn't quite as healthy, uh, number wise, you know, it's hard to believe as I drove over here, you know, this always comes on my mind when I'm talking about deer season, a hundred years ago, there were probably less than a thousand deer in the state of Missouri. And that's hard for us to wrap our mind around, but that's one of the success stories of the conservation department. And that's all due in part, thanks to the people of Missouri who helped create the department, who supported these laws and, and the way we're structured, allowing us to set those laws uh, funding us through the one-eighth of one-tenth percent sales tax, uh, buying permits. Uh, that all plays a huge role and allows Missouri to be one of the top agencies in the state and in the nation. And, uh, you know, if I sound like I'm bragging, I probably am, but I'm awfully proud to work for the Department of Conservation. And I think we're very fortunate because I, in my job, I have the opportunity to work with a lot of folks in other agencies. And I see some of the struggles that they face because they don't have the funding, they don't have the public support, and I, it makes me very grateful and humbles me. That's nice. That's wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Well, we're going to keep picking your brain. You bet. Um, we're going to talk a little bit, um, you know, about how to prepare for deer season. You know, if you are getting ready to go out um, and, and hunt, we're also going to talk about strategy for yep. finding deer. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then uh, we'll talk about uh, turkey season. And we're going to talk about some some other seasons that you have. And then then we'll, we'll dabble in fishing okay. just a little bit yeah. as well. Well, what up? All right. Okay. So I want to thank Great Southern Bank again for being our presenting sponsor. We'll be right back with Warren Rose right here on A Coach's Perspective. Welcome back to A Coach's Perspective. Hey, this segment is sponsored by Highland Dairy. Highland Dairy is owned by dairy farmers, and they've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact. Scientific studies, professional dietitians, the ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after a workout is chocolate milk. And Highland Dairy has the best tasting chocolate. And they're a proud sponsor of A Coach's Perspective. We appreciate uh, their partnership as well. And if I can say this, being the son of a dairy farmer, thanks to all those dairy farmers. Yes, yes. Yes, I grew up on a dairy farm and, and uh, taught you a good work ethic, and it made hunting that more, much more special. Right. Because we had to do all the chores ahead of time so that we could leave to go early, because we got up early anyway. Right. So we had to get up earlier so we could get the chores done to go hunting, and we had to hustle back and finish stuff. So uh, that's one of the reasons I think I'm in the field I'm in, because I saw how important it was to my family, because... If we took time to do something like that, we knew it was important. So, yeah, dairy farmers, thank you. Yes, I, I completely agree. I have the utmost respect for them because this is not an easy gig. It I mean, is not. Is no, for sure. it, it was good for me. 
We're very grateful. Um, so, th- you know, I, I also, you know, want to give a big shout out to Greg and Melinda Burnett as they support local and thoughtful radio for this segment. Um, we're talking about hunting and we're talking about fishing and we're going to, we're talking a little bit about get out in the outdoors, um, you know, commune with nature. I mean, this week it's been really easy to do that because it's been absolutely beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, and I want to encourage everybody, you know, to um, at least, you know, learn about hunting and appreciate it, even if you can't do it. I mean, I'm the first to admit that my camera is the only thing I can, hunt, you know, shoot with. So it, it, that's okay. Um, but we've got to be able to appreciate and understand how important it is and to make sure that, um, you know, that, that we have um, the guidelines in place to make sure everybody is doing it safely. So that's what I want to ask you that, you know, a lot of times is hunting safe? That's one yes. of the questions I get from youth parents all the time. Yeah, hunting is extremely safe. Uh, there's stats on it. It's obviously much safer than football and some of your collision or contact sports, if you will. But it, you know, it's amazing when you run down the list. And I don't have the list in front of me, but things like tennis, people get hurt more playing tennis than, you know, hunting is an extremely safe, uh, sport. Uh, as you and I were speaking yesterday, uh, my staff has worked extremely hard to help get hunter education into about 50 schools across Southwest Missouri. So if your student, uh, as a uh, as taking hunter education uh, in school, that was part doing part to our staff and the grateful administrators and, and school officials that allowed us to you know train those teachers so that those teachers could deliver that program. So uh, if your school has it, be sure to thank those folks because that's a lifetime certification. They can then, if they won't decide in fifteen years to go out to Colorado and hunt elk, uh, they'll have to have hunter education and and they'll have that. In fact, you have to have it here in the state of Missouri. So uh, hunting is extremely safe. Uh, I encourage everyone to uh, take hunter education and, and, and get versed in it. And uh, it, it's just a, it's, it's something you need to know, and you'll, you'll come away glad you did. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about deer season yes. starting this weekend. Okay, prepare us. All right, obviously you have to have a firearm. But yep. besides a firearm, what is it that you're going to need to prepare? You're going to have to have um, some orange, right? Yep, yep. Orange you have colors. to have fluorescent orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to have a vest plus a hat that's visible from all, all sides. Uh, your uh, camouflage flesh and orange that you may see from time to time is actually not legal. So it has to be the full, full-fledged full fluorescent orange, if you will, hunter orange. Um, you'll need to obviously make sure you've got the proper clothing. Uh, you know, shorts and T-shirt would have been good today. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I think it is going to cool down by this weekend. Uh you know, you just want to, uh, it's always, we always say plan your hunt and then hunt your plan. And that way you let people know where you're going to be when you expect to be back. So if something happens, they know where you were going. Uh, they know when you're supposed to be back because if, uh, God forbid, something does happen, they'll know where to find you and where to look. And so, uh, yeah, those are some of the things you'll need to do. Uh, you know, that's short term. Uh, I look at hunting as a year-round activity. I am always scouting. I am always looking for a place to hunt. I don't like to show up at the neighbor's or the farmer's, uh, you know, door and say, hey, you know, deer season starts next week. Do you mind if I hunt? I want to ask that question months ahead of time, you know. So I'm always scouting, asking permission, getting, seeking permission. Uh, I think learning the lay of the land is the most important thing you can do in any type of hunting. Deer hunting, especially turkey hunting. Uh, knowing where those animals travel, uh, knowing where the barriers are, where the fences, where the creek crossings, where where are the fallen logs, whatever you may, you know, if it's a barrier to you, it's probably a barrier to them. And so learning those trails and those habits 
Uh, obviously for deer, uh, they make scrapes. You want to find out where they're leaving sign. Uh, because a deer and a turkey or any animal's behavior changes throughout the year. So you kind of got to know where the where they're going and how they're moving, where, where the food source is. Uh, obviously the reason deer season set the time it is right now, it's breeding season. So the rut's taking place. Bucks are beginning to challenge one another for, for the does. So that's one reason the farm season's placed where it is here in mid-November. So if you, you, you know, well, that's going to segue right into strategy. Like what, yes. you know, because you're kind of already talking a little bit of strategy. Um, what is the best way? Like, okay, you're sitting in the deer stand and you're mm-hmm. waiting for which, by the way, um, my husband says one of his favorite parts is just sitting in the deer stand yes. when it's in the early morning and it's crisp. And um, it's that's one of the things that gives him kind of the, a rush. And, he, yes. you know, besides obviously um, harvesting a, a deer. But what is the best strategy for finding a deer? Well, once you've done your homework, just getting out there, knowing that location, playing the wind. Uh, deer have very exceptional noses and, and can and can smell smell you from a long ways away. So you want to play the wind, have your stand set in the right place. Uh, you know, be there at those prime prime hours, you know, early morning, late evening. Uh, but deer, the, the nice thing about the rut is because of that, uh, deer are up moving, uh, you know, all day long sometimes when, when – when a doe become, comes into uh, into heat and, uh, you know, she's ready to be bred, those bucks will move all day long. And so uh, just being, in the, being out there literally in the right place at the right time. Okay, so you're successful. Yep. Um, and and uh, what's next? Well, I've always said for years, when you pull the trigger, that's when the work starts. <laughs> yeah. And it is because, you know, it's time to field dress that deer, uh, drag that deer out. Uh, and then either you process it yourself, uh, take it somewhere to have it processed. Again, on opening weekend, as a reminder, if you're hunting in one of those CWD counties, you'll have to have it sampled at the sampling station. Uh, and those stations, I'll be working the one in Shell Knob. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be there probably from about 6 or 6.30 that in the morning till about 9.30 or 10 that night. So those will be some oh, long wow. days because we know hunters will start showing up shortly after daylight once they harvest a deer. And a lot of deer hunters will hunt till dark. And then if they have to track a deer, process it, drag it out, you know, do those things, field dress it, uh, it may be 8, 9 o'clock before they can get to the check station if they have to drive 10 or 15 miles. Sure. So that, that the work really does start. But, again, you know, some of the joys. And then you've got a story to tell. Mm-hmm. You share it with your friends and family. And, and talk, you know, taxidermy is, you know, that's one of the things, too, a lot of hunters um, – you know, some hunters are you know don't don't care for mm-hmm. the trophies, if you will, yeah. but some really do. Yeah. Um, you know, taxidermy. How, what's that process like if they you, want to do something there? Well, I would encourage you to do a little bit of homework beforehand. Find out who you would want to have taxidermy the animal. Uh, I see a lot of folks. You know, they'll show up and they've killed a really nice buck and they decide to have it mounted, and they'll say, "Who should I have do it?" Well, you know, the uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. So do some homework. Find out who those who. Which taxidermist does the kind of work you're looking for? Have a conversation with them about, uh, you know, what should I do? And they can give you better tips than I, but I can tell you, you know, you want to, uh, for example, and growing up in the hills of Barry County, you know, the first thing that hunters wanted to do back then was cut the throat so it could bleed out. And, and, but that ruins the cape. So if you do that, you've ruined the cape. So you can't mount that deer and have a, a really nice deal. So knowing how to, uh, uh, to field dress the animal and to preserve it so that it can be mounted. Those are all things you'll need to research, and and, and that's another 
program for another time. Right, and we right, do sure. offer and we do offer programs like that for at the conservation department, uh, especially at Andy Dalton Shooting Range, or perhaps virtual. We do a lot of virtual programs. So again, do that homework beforehand and find out exactly how to do that, and uh, you'll be prepared and you'll have a mount that will last a lifetime. I have a huge. Uh, at least it's huge to me, maybe not everyone. It's a nice <laughs> six-by-six bull elk, bull, uh, bull elk that I took uh, years ago on a hunt with my dad. And luckily, thanks to the time I had spent at Loman, I knew how to process that animal and 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 how to to, to skin it and how to cape it so that uh, taxidermists could mount it. And it's a wonderful, beautiful mouth. And don't tell my wife this, but the house <laughs> that we built is literally built around that animal in mind because in our living room, we've got a big... High ceiling with a big <laughs> fireplace. Yeah. And guess what happens just to be on that fireplace? <laughs> there you go, so yeah. he's turned his head. He's bugling just like he did the day I, I harvested mm-hmm. him. So, uh, yeah, do your homework and you'll be glad you did because you'll have, a, you'll have a, something to treasure. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we're going to take our, our next break. And, um, again, thank you to Highland Dairy and Greg and Melinda Burnett for sponsoring this segment. Oh, we have Warren Rose here with the Department of Conservation, and we will be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Welcome back to A Coach's Perspective. This segment is sponsored by Bill Grant Ford in Bolivar. Hey, they know cars, they know trucks, they know SUVs, and they know service. And they also know how to keep their customers happy and loyal. I've been one of them for over 25 years. Give Kelly Grant and Shane Rainey a call. They will take care of you. 417-326-7671. I also want to thank West Logging. Contact Danny West for a free consultation. Go to westlogging.com or find him on Facebook. He's going to treat your land like his own. And also thank you to Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance for sponsoring this segment. So we have Warren Rose here. And, you know, you're with the Department of Conservation, but one thing, you know, we didn't mention at the very beginning, this is not your first time on a coach's perspective. It is not. No, yeah. we. I was here before talking to archery. We did. We talked yeah. a little archery, and um, that was back in, like, 2020. Yes. Yes. So that's been a while. So I'm glad to have you back on yeah. the show. Um, so let, we're talking hunting. Um, we're going to also dabble a little bit in fishing, but we've covered deer. I want to talk turkey. When, yes. uh, when is um, turkey season for people that don't know? Yeah. Um, and tell us a little bit about the, the strategies of turkey season like we talked about with deer. You bet. We just finished the fall season, which runs the month of October. Uh, this year we had about 2,219 turkeys harvested. Uh, that is up a little bit from last year. We had 1,844 harvested in the fall of 22, but the big season is in the spring, and that's what I really live and breathe for is, <laughs> is spring turkey season. I, I liked to deer hunt, and, and that was my first love, if you will, mm-hmm. but my dad told me years ago when I was a youngster that if you ever get into turkey hunting, you'll forget all about deer hunting, and I thought he was crazy. And you ca- Can you and, capture why? Why and, is and, it? And the reason is when you get into it, there is so much more interaction with the animal. Deer are vocal. A lot of people don't realize that. They grunt. Uh, perhaps you've heard them blow or snort. Uh, but they're very vocal animals. Uh, but unless you're a pretty savvy hunter and, and get used to, you know, get to where you're around them in a tree stand or in a blind and, and hear some of those sounds, you may not ever recognize them because they're not loud sounds. Uh, a turkey gobbling, a lot of people can hear that from a long ways off in the same way with the hen yelping. But with those turkeys, there's an interaction there in the spring. And that's what I love to take part in is mm-hmm. to try to 
it's for me it's not about pulling the trigger and shooting the long long beard the gobbler it's about calling that animal and decepting them because everyone thinks that or i shouldn't say this but a lot of times turkeys get classified as being a stupid animal when they're extremely when in my opinion they're very extremely smart because everything that's out in the woods is out to get them you know you think about it. really the only thing that's not chasing a a, a turkey is a deer because you know, uh, all sorts of predators are out there trying to get a turkey. And and so they're very wary animals. They're very aware of their surroundings. And so the fact that you can call one in and, and fool it and get it within 40, 30, 20, 10 yards of you sometimes, maybe it's – I've literally had feet turkey walk at, the, at where my feet are and walk past me and never realize I'm there because I'm camouflaged up. Uh, I always tell people if they could smell like a deer, we would never – harvest one but luckily, <laughs> luckily they cannot but uh, they do have great eyesight uh, they're very aware of their surroundings but just the interaction is why turkey hunting is such a thrill to me yeah it and sounds like it's a more of a challenge it's an extreme to me it's a much more of a challenge yeah. and and i just i love it i think spring's a great time of the year to be out there uh nature's kind of waking up from its winter sleep and so all sorts of birds are, are out there uh, mushrooms are popping the crappie are biting uh, it's just a great time of the year to be outside, and that's for me. Turkey is turkey hunting is my love. If I had to get rid of all my firearms and could only pick one or one activity to do throughout the year, it would be turkey hunting. Turkey, turkey hunting. hunting. Well, you you also spoke to something I like to hunt, and that's morel mushrooms. Yes, <laughs> that's, yes, that's always that's it. about the only thing that I will stop turkey hunting for right. is when I'm out chasing turkeys and I run across the mess of those i'll stop and pick them yes up every time. yeah shout out to my husband he fries the best morel mushrooms yes. definitely all right so um i you know i i want to talk also about some other seasons you know you just finished up um bear season tell us yes. about that yeah we just finished up i think it was our third bear season this year uh i printed this off right before i came so forgive me while i do this g sheet this year we harvested 12 black bears across the state uh we had more than uh we had nearly 5400 people apply uh, to, for a bear tag, out of those 5,400, 400 were selected uh, with the goal of harvesting up to 40 bears. And then we have the broken down into three different zones. So uh, depending on what zone you're in or how many permits and, and are given to those zones and how many people are drawn for each of those zones. Well, but years in, we harvested 12 black bears. Well, tell us a little bit about the bear population. A lot of people might might not realize how much it's grown. Um, you know, my, my grandfather was the, with the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, yes. and, and in the 60s, he went up to Canada and actually brought some black bears to northwest Arkansas yes. to try and re-engage, um, you know, that population. To, you know, and it has grown. It, it has. Really has. It, it has, and, and many of the bears in, in uh, southwest Missouri have, have came across the state line. And, and our population is now healthy enough that our biologists feel like we need to have a bear season, again, as a management tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also provides an opportunity for a lot of folks that normally wouldn't have it. Uh, so bear season is growing. In fact, one of my good friends here in town, Don Puckett, uh, a lot of folks might know Don, uh, he harvested a bear the first season. And so I got a text from him like that first week, and he had, he had harvested, I think he was number six. Oh, wow. So he killed the sixth bear that was ever harvested harvested in missouri so uh you know we've got a really good population in the seymour area uh in in fact through our studies of bear snares and 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 darting bears and i've actually been out and helped work some bears up that we've trapped 
we've we've discovered that some of those bears you talked about those bears being brought in from Canada uh, some of the bears that we've done DNA samples on aren't related to those bears and they're not related to other bears so we believe the only thing that makes sense is there's always been a small contingent of bears that are natural that have always been here and, and, and that population still survives and still thrives. A lot of times you're not going to see a bear unless the bear wants you to see yes. them. I mean, that they're, they are, um, they're intelligent as well. well yes. Deer and turkey will run from you, right? Yes. If someone's hiking and they come across a black bear, talk a little just general safety. What you know, should you do? You know, hopefully that bear will leave and run. And, and just the main thing is to leave it alone. Please do not feed it. Do not try to get close to take a picture or any of those things. Uh, and then I'll tell you a story here in a minute. Yes, I know. But, <laughs> Teaser uh, alert. We've yeah, got a bear yeah. story. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, the main thing is not to run. Uh, watch some, uh, trainings. Uh, it's amazing in Florida, they have a huge bear population in, in some really nice subdivisions in places you wouldn't think would hold bears. And, uh, they train the citizens there to hold their ground because if you run, then that mimics nature. They're, they're out to chase something. So, uh, They'll, they'll chase you down. But if you'll hold your ground, look big, raise your arms, things of that sort, then you, they'll, they'll typically back away. Yeah. And we're and talking black bears. Black bears. Grizzlies are yes. a different game. Yes. But black bears yes. here, yes. yeah, hold your ground. Yeah. Yeah. Hold I, your ground. But the main thing is, and, and a lot of the nuisance bears, as we call them, are really folks who, you know, they'll leave dog food out or cat food out. Yeah. Or perhaps they'll, well, they'll see one in the yard so they'll leave some food out for it and when you start doing that there's a saying a fed a fed bear is a dead bear and 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 sadly that's true because well and sometimes people grill um and they have that they can smell the grill tell us a little bit about uh, an incident that you had with the bear yeah this uh uh in september uh one of my good friends gary price out of web city he and i grew up together uh we decided to go out to colorado and spent a week. We weren't hunting. We were just taking in nature, again, making that yeah. connection. And outside seeing wildlife every day. Came in one day, grilled some burgers uh, on the grill uh, at the little Airbnb we were staying at. Uh, went back out, uh, saw uh, more wildlife that night. Came in, ended up going to bed, heard something in the middle of the night, got up and, and uh, went to the other room and woke my buddy Gary up said, hey, I think there's a bear outside. Uh, he goes over to the couch and in, in, in the living room and kind of pulls the curtain back and he's looking. I flip on the light, open the door, and I've got a flashlight in my hand and I can see the grill has been moved. And uh, it's at the edge of the deck and, and I thought, well, I knew there bear, a bear had been there, uh, but I couldn't see anything. Had the it had the tarp over the or the the cover over the grill went all the way to the ground and so uh, just curiosity got the best of me. Decided to start slipping out to see, look in the yard if I could see. The bear. Well, about the time I did that, then my intuition kicked in, and I thought the last thing I want to do is startle a bear. Just because I can't see him doesn't mean he can't see me. Big tip there. Yeah. Folks. So I I kind of yelled kind of loud just to let him know I was there, and I was about six feet away from that grill, and it was right on the edge of the deck, and I didn't think there was any way that bear was close to there. I thought he was out in the yard. When I yelled, he stood up on the other side of that grill, put his paws on the front of it, and looked me in the face about six to eight feet away. And, <laughs> and, oh my goodness! And yeah, did you it was, stand your ground? Well, I, I did stand my ground, and I had the flashlight up high and was holding it. I don't know whose eyes were bigger, his or mine. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, lucky for me, he did uh, drop down and run away. 
But, uh, yeah, that's not a lot of people get to be that close, and I did not intend to get that close to the bear, but uh, I am glad that I my, my learning, my intuition kicked in, and I said something because had I walked over to that grill, and, yeah, yeah. who knows what would have happened. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm, I'm glad that all turned out, turned, uh, out well, yes. turned out well, and what an experience yeah, and story yeah, that, yeah. You, that you have. Um, all right, so I have some conservation questions for you. These were sent in. I had some focus group members that, that sent these in. Okay. And, and they're probably different answers for in town and in the country. All Could right, be. so okay. let's, um, this is my favorite question. Uh, I've got a fox that's getting into my chickens. Can I shoot it? Okay, well, that depends. <laughs> I don't know on, why I used that again, accent. That, <laughs> that, again, you're right. That may depend on where you live. Uh, there are city uh, uh, ordinances and things like that that may not allow you to charge a firearm in the city limits uh, perhaps you're out in the country where you can long story short you do have a right to protect your personal property so you can do that uh, you can shoot it you can trap it with a live trap and relocate it so there are different options for folks to depending on what they want to do and what the situation is and can they call the department of conservation they can call us we, we we do not actually go out and do that if we did we well the, there are businesses there are actually a lot of businesses that do that sort of work. So when you call the department, they can refer you to one of those. Businesses. Okay. I also have a probably similar answer to a skunk that's getting into a swimming pool and a raccoon that's getting into trash cans. Yeah, I would, I would, I would swim lightly. I'd make sure the pool is clear <laughs> before jumping in. Uh, I've never seen a skunk swim, actually. Oh, <laughs> you'd be surprised what often swim. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, uh, same with a raccoon. You can, uh, if you know, if it's destroying personal property. And you need to dispatch it. You can if you want to uh, trap it. And, and don't get and too re- close to them. Raccoons yeah, are, yeah. are are they're not friendly. They they can when backed into a corner, as with any wild animal. Right. They they can they can be a challenge, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, what you can do if you do have an animal that you want to live trap, uh, I work at the regional office, which is not very far from here. It's uh, twenty six uh, thirty North Mayfair, which is next to Prime Trucking, MoDOT, Highway Patrol. On the northeast corner there of Springfield, uh, we we uh, have traps that folks can use. So they come in, they put they have to put a deposit down, and when they bring the trap back, they get their deposit back. So, nice. and staff there can show you how to set those traps, uh, let you know what bait works well, and nice. so hopefully you can do that. And they also have a list of conservation areas where you can take that animal and re-release it. So oh, there you go. There you go. I didn't realize that yeah. that resource was available. Yeah. All right, so let's. Um, I want to talk mountain lions. Yep. Uh, because I, you know, mountain lions. I've been. I go hiking a lot. Um, never seen a mountain lion. Um, even when I, you know, go to places like Colorado and California, and they'll say, "Hey, there's been a lot of mountain lions." I, I never get to see one. I don't even see tracks. Yep. Um, but I think that's because they don't want me to yeah. see them again. You know, they're they're pretty cagey. But tell me a little bit about our population in this area for mountain lions. We do have a population of mountain lions here in the state of Missouri. We don't know exactly what that is. We do not think it's a breeding population, but there have been several, and I do not know the total number, but several sightings, confirmed sightings in the uh, in the state. A uh, large majority of those are in the, uh, really the heart of the Ozark, big country, I call it, over around Shannon County, Carter County, where there are large tracts of timber. Uh, but a lot of these mountain lions, our biologists believe, kind of move in through the Missouri River, down that drainage, if you will. And so they come to us from the Dakotas and the Montanas and places out there, and they're pushed out. Uh, a lot like bears are, you know, they, they're pushed out. The young ones, they kind of have to make a go of their own. And and sometimes they end up in Missouri. 
So, and, and again, I feel like I need to ask uh, uh, the safety of you. If you're hiking or you come across a mountain lion, um, normally they're going to run off. Yes, hopefully. But, but if there is, um, if you're between them and their cubs or yeah. if they're, you know, what is some safety protocol for people uh, to keep in mind? It would be the same thing. Do not run because that's what they're, when you run, it's no different than a deer running from them or cottontail or whatever the case may be. So stay on your ground, be big. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to do. It's easier said than done, but uh, that is a key. And, and there are some videos that I've noticed out there where people, uh, you know, a lot of hikers in California and the Utahs and some of those western states, uh, they'll encounter uh, mountain lions a lot more often. And I've seen some videos where folks stood their ground, and because they did, they were able to get away, right. you know, and, and, and fight back if you have to if, if for whatever reason. you know. Right, yeah. And, uh, all right, that sounds good. Um, okay, so we, we've covered a lot in, in hunting. Um, we got a cu- couple minutes here. I want I want to talk a little bit about fishing and yes. and really, um, you know, fish. That kind of goes hand in hand. You think about hunting, you think about fishing. It's it's a very very relaxing sport for a lot of people. It it's also something that um, people are very serious about. It can be recreational. It yes. can be professional. Tell me what I, I want to know the conservation side of it. Why is fishing also very important to the ecosystems of our waterways? Well, uh, it's 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 very important for a number of reasons. Uh, fish, like many of the animals in our aquatic ecosystems, are indicators of water quality. So uh, we want a good, healthy fish population. Obviously, it's a great sport, a great way for people to connect to nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I worked in the hunting industry for a number of years. But truth be told, and, and I'm sure Johnny Morris and his staff can tell you, there's a lot more fishermen than there are hunters. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's a great recreation, great time to, uh, for friends and family to spend time outdoors together. So uh, we've got a great fishery staff that uh, do sampling on all of our uh, lakes and streams, and, and they keep tabs on that population and, and know that. And that's how, by them doing that, then that's how we set our regulations. We know what the length, length length limits should be because we know how long it takes for a fish to get to a certain size. Uh, we know uh, the population, so we know what kind of uh, uh, impact that uh, harvesting fish can take. So we know how many fish to allow people to have possession of and what the limits should be. So, um, And you have to have a license. And you obviously have to have a license yes. to do all of this. I would encourage folks, and I, I bought mine when I was 40. I bought a lifetime license. Yeah. And, uh, they're not that expensive. They're not that expensive. And, and, uh, uh, again, a lot of people, and I, I'd like to say this, a lot of people may not realize that there's a federal excise tax put on hunting and fishing equipment. So every time you buy a shotgun or a fishing pole or a box of ammo or whatever, the, the, the producer of that has paid a federal excise tax. And those dollars go to the federal government and then they're sent, they're, divvied back out to the states based on the number of permits sold. So buying a permit, not only are you, you know, you think, well, the state's getting, you know, $19 for my deer tag. Well, yes, we are, but we're also getting some of those tax dollars that Missouri citizens have paid back to Missouri so we can do more conservation things such as buy more property, manage more land, uh, provide hunter education so people know how to safely hunt how to educate them on how to hunt you know some of the programs we do that's a very vital thing so buying those permits is important in regards because that helps ensure the tax dollars that missourians have spent come back to missouri rather than go to another state that is so true that is so true we we've covered a lot of ground we have we really have um and you can get more information um at the missouri department of conservation website mdc.mo.gov 
you can find a whole lot of information. Uh, I you could you could spend hours. You could yes. get lost on that website. It's really got a lot of great information. And Warren Rose, I want to thank you so much for being Jenny, here. Jenny, it's always a pleasure to be here. Yes, Thank I you. hope you get to come back. And I we'll, will. I'd love to come back during turkey season, bring a few calls. Ooh, there and, we go. And we can talk a little more strategy. And, and uh, you know, I, again, I talked earlier about uh, doing it a year-round sport. Let's do it sometime in March, well before season. Love so that. So the information I give, folks can then put into practice before season gets here and then be ready once season does. I, lo- I love that. Thank you so much for educating us and, and being here. And okay. good luck this weekend. You're going to have some long days. Uh, Lots be, of coffee. It's fun, though, I tell you. <laughs> Lots when, of coffee. <laughs> you love the camaraderie and, and hearing the stories and spending time with outdoorsmen and uh, and seeing the, the faces light up on little ones that have harvested their first year. It's all worthwhile. Well, enjoy. Enjoy. All right, we're going to move into our post-game talk, sponsored by Story Construction. Story Construction, they've been providing high-quality industrial and commercial construction since 1966. Go to story, com for more information. You can always go to a coach's perspective for show lineups and information as well. Next week, we're going to show the parallels of Chief Paul Williams being the head coach of the Springfield Police Department and how that parallels Division One coaches as well. So we talk about sports relating to life um, and how it helps us in our professional lives when we get older. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that um, in our postgame talk. As I said earlier, the only way that I shoot animals is with my camera. But I know it's necessary, and I appreciate the ones that can. My husband is one of them, and I'm going to say to him, be very careful, Scott Hopkins, this weekend. He has a big crew in, um, and, and he is uh, loves the sport and, and loves the camaraderie and loves the... the connections that you make so let me say this i want to thank you for controlling all of the hunters out there our populations for the sake of keeping our ecosystems healthy and functioning at the highest levels be safe be careful and be responsible because that's how champions do it and i want to remind you as i do each and every week be a good human live your life like a champion live like a human champion this is jenny hopkins and this has been a coach's perspective